clear. We are the weirdos. I am God. What? I tried to warn her. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ots Tyrion podcast. Here I, bow, 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 bow. Here I am, your co-host, Jordan Cruciola, and of course, I am joined by... Uh, the other co-host of this podcast, Sam Weinman. Jordan, it is so good to see you. It is so good to see you, as always. And... I will, I'm going to, I'm going to say, will our gentleman guest introduce himself first? Hello. <laughs> What's what? your name, guest? Do I need to say anything else? Just it tell us, I. tell us a little bit about you. I am a screenwriter and um, that's it. My name's Michael Kennedy. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Michael Kennedy. <laughs> Hi, Michael Kennedy, a friend of Hi. us each individually, friend of the show. And then we have... Our next, our, we rounding out our group of four today, guest, next guest, would you like to introduce yourself? No, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Renee People Beaver. should know who you are now just based on the way I'm laughing already. True. <laughs> True. It's me. It's me, Renee. Renee Beaver. <laughs> and uh, I'm here as Michael's bestie. And Michael Kennedy, you were the one who made this choice long ago when I asked you what you would want to do on the podcast. So tell the folks at home, what movie are we talking about today? We are. And Nay and I decided on this together. We actually bounced back like maybe two or three ideas. And mm, okay. Like, Wait a minute. No, we're doing this one. Um, we are talking the 2003 box office smash, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think my favorite of the slasher remakes, mm. um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre starring a white tank top <laughs> around uh-huh. Jessica Biel. Yes. <laughs> First build white tank top. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and, and that if, was for you and Sam. <laughs> if not Eliza Dushku, the next most full embodiment of the white tank top is without question Jessica Biel. You're right. It, Elijah's one. She's right? she's such a yeah she's she's such she's such that energy such that mm-hmm. like prob like should be canonically bisexual energy that Eliza Dushku brings to every role. Whereas I feel like if we're if we're like bisexualizing Jessica Biel, it's like pure fantasy canon. Whereas Eliza, <laughs> ah, there's got to be something there. Well, yeah, and also at the end of Wrong Turn, I always imagine like after they drove away at the end he's like do you want to go out with me and she's like no dude i gotta get home to my wife yeah (laughs) (laughs) like we're like yeah i'm I'm here you know like because aren't they really there because her boyfriend broke up with her somebody is it her or is it like emmanuel was it triqui no because she was with uh jeremy sisto that's right and it's very clear that eliza dushku has better chemistry with emmanuel the entire movie than she does desmond so yeah she they took her be they're taking her camping because her boyfriend and her broke up and i think it's because she came out uh, i was gonna say which is what happens when you're gay so yeah yeah. (laughs) the story 2003 2003 is a, a really big year for tank tops because we have, we obviously have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but we mm-hmm. also have Wrong Turn, same year, and High Tension. We also have Gothica that yeah! year, and Halle Berry is not not in a white tank top in that there movie. There it is. That's really glad you brought that up, Sam, because I don't know if we want to talk about it during the movie talk or however, but... Get into it. Get into what you want to get into. Let's yeah. see how it goes. The, so High Tension is like, weirdly, I feel like the most... Remembered by the horror community. Ugh, I hate that I just said horror community. <laughs> yeah. It's mostly remembered by horror, horror fans. fans. And 
I think it's the most talked about one still, even though Texas Chainsaw is the biggest hit. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, but I feel like that movie gets the credit for like setting a standard as far as like the French New Wave. Yeah, like, I think yeah. despite not being the first, I think yeah. High Tension definitely gets the the new French extremity sort of crown put on it when Gaspar Noé had been doing that really since the late 90s. And as far as like these movies go, they all came around, out around the same time. So it's not like Texas Chainsaw copied High Tension. No. Long term. So like they're all kind of like I watched Texas Chainsaw again today mm-hmm. and I started thinking, I was like, this is kind of a French new wave film. In America. Ooh. Well, it's it, like, it's a, it's, it, I think the, there's such a, this film is so crucially important for actually many reasons to the decade. And it's something I was thinking about a lot today, which is that we are getting a confluence of global ultraviolence coming into the United States right about this exact time right. where it's already been jumping off in France. It's already been jumping off with like the Asia extreme films, Japanese horror, things like um, Ichi the Killer, things like Audition, which have been around for years, mm-hmm. and, and movies coming out of South Korea and their Korean new wave culture boom after censorship restrictions have been lifted in the country at the end, at the end of the 90s for the first time, creating a like domestic film market in earnest for the first time in that country. And it's kind of given way to the incredible genre blending sensibility that we see coming out of South Korea today that's so formative on so many genre filmmakers. And we are a year before Saw is about to hit the United States and really push the torture agenda. It, it, like, in earnest a lot further. I but subscribe here, to that. The torture agenda. Yeah. The you torture get the agenda. Weekly? Yeah. Yeah. I get the newsletter. Do you get the newsletter? <laughs> Nay told me about it. Nay. And I but, want to what we have and what we have in this though, is this, this is the inaugural platinum dunes horror remake of the 2000s mm-hmm. this is really the movie that sets the visual palette for what I think we will identify as the remake boom, Great. as the 2000s era sort of look and style, that like slightly sweaty, always kind of dirty, very sexy, hard bodies, white tank tops, the, Michael, the, the yellowish tint everywhere. It's that Michael Bayization of the genre that's happening in this. And it takes what was done. I think, you know, we see the remake boom kick off in the end of the 90s with Haunting and House on Haunted Hill. So like Dark Castle Entertainment is really what gets the remake boom started with like House on Haunted Hill in conjunction with The Haunting. But then there's also 13, 13 ghosts, ghosts and- that come from there and yeah. there's ghost ship. And so that's already happening. But then Michael Bay is like, you know what I can do with this? Make it fucking huge. I can make this a brand. I can make this a whole identity of film and it works. It pops off. And I think in many ways, regardless of how one feels about this film, like narratively or qualitatively, it is the blueprint. It is the blueprint for, I think, what we define visually as like post 9-11 slasher remake revival horror. And that is quite the note of distinction. May I add? Yes, this is a 2003 like jumping off point. But there's like one other parallel Mm. that I don't like as, you know, in the same way. But it is also that this movie happened twice in one year because it also had House of a Thousand Corpses. So the Mm. odds horror was defined by either you went like the Rob Zombie track or you went like polished it's bright daylight but everything is brown dark sunglasses look Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yeah and those are the two to me those are the two like defining moments well this is like this is these movies are that we are checking here of name checking here are what are tilling the ground for what saw is going to like plant the seeds of and then we are going to watch sort of come out of the ground and be harvested for like you know the eli roth films what what rob zombie is going to do with the halloween remakes 
um, and sort of the general, like the collector, the collection, that general tone of just sort of like tours of the grotesque. And that's what these movies are priming the pump for when Saw is going to come in and make a whole industry of it. So there is, this movie is an ur text in many ways and not least among them, the TikTok. <laughs> if I Where may. What was Where that? Name? What, what happened to all the TikToks? Where? Mm-hmm. What Where happened? Did they go? You know, Where did they actually, go? Michael, is it Whitney? Is that the name of the costumer or the um... Whitney from Freaky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was... Whitney. She has taught me so much about like that I did not realize about, <clears throat> you know, that sort of thing. And I and I literally while watching was thinking, how many fucking tank tops did they have to make for her and like tie that knot yep. in the exact same spot? For sure. <laughs> how many how many tank tops yeah. had to have the exact same like blood splatter pattern? How many had to have the exact yeah. same rips in them? The tank top drawer must have been incredible. So in order to fully unpack this, I think we actually have to talk about Britney Spears. And I'm serious because this is, in this year, this is the year of the 2003 VMAs. Mm-hmm. The 2003 this is, VMAs. Oh, this, is this the the yes, rock the and kiss. roll oops? No, no, no. This is oh, this is the like this a virgin. Is rhinestone. The quote. It's like the no, this is the like a virgin, right? This is like a virgin. And so Brittany and Christina, who have been pitted against one another by, you know, culture at large. Mm -hmm. um, And then Madonna, their mother walks out and then they all kiss. But then the TV camera cuts away on Christina to just show um, Justin Timberlake's reaction because that's the world we live in in 2003. But what is interesting to me about this moment is that it's just queer for straight people. Yeah. And that cutaway to to Justin Timberlake's reaction is the proof. I mean, out of that trio, Christina's actually like the only queer one. You know, right. Yeah. At that I mean, time, she was out. Madonna. It's and and so looking at it, it's like, hey, this is the kiss. And when people talk about it, they talk about it as the Britney Madonna kiss. Yep. And so why I bring this up is, this is a year full of shit like that. This is a year tattoo dominated the radio waves. Tattoo. Is this a all fake, the things she said? All the things she said. Wow. A fake lesbian ban. Uh huh. Like now, by the way, it doesn't matter if they're fake because that's real and that's queer and it hits my heart. Right. But, a fake lesbian band has a top single because they like get all they they make out in the music video right. for the male gaze. Yeah, and then and then we also have um, Freddie versus Jason this year with the you know the the infamous f bomb. And then in this film, even we get you know the cool homophobia moment in the beginning. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I I bring all this up just to set the stage for also what's happening in the two thousands, which is like queerness is only acceptable when it's four straight men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And otherwise it's, it's like the villain. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how tension sets it. So where do we have to hide it? In the tank top. <laughs> <laughs> her, her hair is so big, it's full of secrets and her tank top is so pressed. She's hiding being a lesbian. <laughs> No, oh my God, two, if, 2003 um, was also the year I graduated high school. Same. Same. That and, was the year I dropped out of uh, high school. Nice. <laughs> Symmetry. I nice. love this. And uh, we were leaving it behind, all of us. Yes, leaving it behind. And I think at this point, like, well, as of yesterday, like, I've been out as long as I was, I'm like, I've been out of the church as long as I was in the church. Oh, as of okay. Yesterday. 
Wow, congratulations. But this movie, I mean, what it felt, well, I'm like, if I back up and talk about my obsession with Seventh Heaven. Right, and you should. That's exactly yes, what please. we're here to do. That Seventh Heaven is integral to the conversation yes. of the 2000s. Because that was really a Christian was show, good. right? Big yes. hit show, though. Yes. Oh, huge. I, I could, like, I didn't have to explain, you know, because sometimes if you bring up a TV show, like a secular TV show to the Christians, yeah, and they're like, they're like what's that garbage? And you're like, oh, no, it's fine. The word heaven is in the name. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a really good show. <laughs> Meanwhile, all the baby gays are, like, thirsting over Mary Camden, um, <laughs> Jessica Biel in yep. Seventh Heaven. And then this movie comes out, and I first remember feeling like, oh, my God, to go see a horror movie in the movie theater, 18 years old, like, didn't need anyone's permission, not in high school anymore, not at that church anymore felt like an extreme bad bitch mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and at the time didn't know I was thirsting so hard uh -huh. for Jessica Biel I thought I just didn't like myself yet and wanted to look like her so I was like oh that's why you're obsessed you don't, <laughs> you don't like yourself you think you should look like this and it definitely was part of that but I think the other part of it, it was me being very gay um, well, you know, and there's, there's the important aspect of Jessica Biel in her trying to sort of grow out of Seventh Heaven, which just is when she, bring that up. in 2000, when she appears on the cover version. of Gear, uh -huh. when she appears on the cover of Gear, she's 17 posing topless because that's what Lad Mags did then. And it was completely fine. So by 2003, she is ready to step into her white tank top moment with Seventh Heaven behind her, the, the, the Lad Mag cover, sort of a part of the celebrity lore at this point. And that gene could not have rode any lower and you could not mm -hmm. have pushed that tank <laughs> any higher, not at that tank any higher and still called it a shirt. Okay, can we just talk about this though? Because those jeans and that tank and everything, if you didn't, weren't told by the narration that this movie was 1973. What year would you say this movie was? 2003. 2003. Yeah. yeah. 2003. I am absolutely convinced this was actually shot to be set in 2003, and they're like, "No, we gotta, we gotta yes. send it back." Well, I think that I think what that that really speaks to is <laughs> is the funny. Michael Bay production of this movie. Like Michael Bay doesn't make fucking period pieces. Like he is <laughs> he is the most contemporary of contemporary. He will no matter what time Michael Bay makes a movie in, it will be like eminently of the present and also firmly rooted in two thousand and four. Like every <laughs> Michael Bay movie will be that. So it's almost like he's a traveling period piece unto himself. <laughs> and that period those movies exist in is the period that. Michael Bay is still in in his mind forever politically socially socially like narratively and he does his thing and I say this as, as somebody who enjoys almost all of Michael Bay's movies so like I say this with a kind of affection um but it's true that like anything that would take I think a creative decision beyond the notion of what the Michael Bay aesthetic is is like now nah, nobody has time for that like they like even the song that they choose um Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. Came out after the date the movie supposedly set up. Yeah. Yeah, that like, Leonard oh, Skinner concert wouldn't have been happening then. Yeah, it came out yeah. like a year later. In Texas. Why? They, they gonna blast Sweet Home Alabama in Texas? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. You know what's funny is that I had totally forgotten what a fucking narc uh, Jessica is in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm like so ashamed I ever thought she was hot in this movie. Um, I mean, I would never think a fucking narc is hot. <laughs> if you threw my joint out the window, right? 
even if I have two pounds in the back seat, <laughs> it's fucking on. It is on. <laughs> I'm throwing you out the window, Jessica. I'm throwing, yes, and could. <laughs> on that note, this movie opens with a van full of young people on their way to a concert, and um, and then Jessica Beale is having a conversation with her boyfriend who's driving about how he won't marry her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this conversation yeah. lasts for a while. And shouts and then- out to Eric Balfour, who is the maximal physical expression in many ways of like a man of, of like a hot boy in 2003. Eric Balfour is so yeah. eminently of that era, and I love him for that. He, like, you know, I I would wear his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. long face. It's a good choice of leather face to do that. <laughs> I in two, and in two thousand five, he did a movie um, with full like actual sex in it. Um, so if you're if you're really thirsting over this hot guy, uh, you can also see his dick in a movie called Lie with Me. <laughs> Just two years later. lie with me lie with me ladies and gentlemen just for the folks at home taking notes wait i'm actually looking at a screen grab of from the movie did he really have a full erection yeah she's blowing him in one of the scenes oh look at that wow (laughs) Wow. so time capsule so but but actually this brings me to something that i was gonna ask about because some uh, one thing this movie does really well that you don't see all the time in horror is it butchers like young hot dudes it butchers and victimizes yes. the men in this movie yes. in a way that is true equal opportunity exploitative mm-hmm. and and i don't know sometimes like even though there's nothing homoerotic about it it just feels like the lens is gay do you know what i mean well there's such a sensationalizing of the body that michael bay does like mm. <clears throat> look at pain and gain it's it's all about like it is all about the sensationalizing of the male body and you know Megan Fox over the hood of the car is obviously the story of Transformers one but like Shia LaBeouf even at that young age that he was uh, like he's never looked more like chiseled than he did in a Transformers movie because everybody's bronzed everybody's buffed everybody's shiny like it creates. I think, you know, when I talk about it creating the visual language of 2000s horror, I think the way in which like that, like low cut tops, low writing jeans, boobs, boot cut, bronzer, like gold glitter paste on your arms, that maximalist aesthetic is that of Michael Bay. He still does that now. You can see that in Six Underground, like he will never stop doing that. And I think the way in which like you have the sort of model that I think sort of gets epitomized in like sort of Wow. In, in Jersey Shore, I think the sort of physical presence of Jay Wow, yes. um, and and like the men of Jersey Shore is sort of like the look of the two thousands brought to its logical conclusion. <laughs> you have Michael Bay kind of defining that, and I think he creates these really. I think he has such a strong hand in creating those really heteronormative, ultra femme, like ultra mask, and yet like twink pretty. Um, like binary aesthetic of the 2000s that really reinforced this heteronormative um, set of cultural standards for beauty. It's, I mean, it's, it really like, it's, it's weird how much of it we can take to Michael Bay. I truly feel that. Well, I have a question for you, Nay and Jordan specifically, because I don't have one. Is it possible to hide a handgun inside you? Because the hitchhiker jumps on board of this van and she has a long conversation before she pulls it out. There's no way that yes. gun would be able to be masked in a, you'd have to have an inseam that was so long 
as to obscure how high that gun would have to be. Like you'd have to have Carly Kloss's legs, I feel like, to hide that gun. But Nay, what do you think? I mean, I think it depends on how far in you put the gun. You know, that's what I mean? true. Like, <laughs> I think. Remember, she was walking though too. Yeah, I mean, nature's pocket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <pocket. I, laughs> um, the movie the movie does with that whole scene though makes you really realize though the first time you're watching it i remember not only like my jaw dropping but also being like oh this isn't the same movie he's a bad man oh, oh shit oh. Mm. like we're not getting a remake you know like right yes like better or worse of the terms at the Mm. time like i believe this was the movie where or maybe it was a little bit after this where the word reboot started being used frequently i bet it was i bet this really Mm. heralded that yeah because it isn't a remake really at the end of the day the setup i guess the setup's the same and there's like the same amount of characters and stuff but it really is its own story yeah Cause we yeah. even like, they're even like the name Sawyer isn't really even given to us until further on in the movie. Cause they're the Hoyts, aren't they? They're the Hewitts in this. The movie. Hewitts, the Hewitts. There yeah. is no Sawyers in this, this version of the franchise. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's like a completely different family. And I remember that moment I was like, oh, this isn't the same movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't going to be the same movie. But it is still uh, going to be based on a true story. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. everything in the 2000s. <laughs> yep. um, the Unborn is based on a true story. Um, the Unborn, I believe, another Platinum Dune special. It was. So, so, but the thing I find interesting about this movie too mm-hmm. is I'm definitely not, I don't think anyone's bigger than the two of you, Sam and Jordan. As far as uh, the remake fans go, because I'm not a huge fan of many of the 2000 right, right. remakes. Um, but this movie is one yeah, of my favorite. Why this one? What, yeah, what makes what this one a this cut one of us? What this, I think it's because it's just genuinely scary. Okay. And I also think it's it's the first, you know? So like there wasn't yes. a copycat, copycat effect going on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was different than, you know, to me it sets... It's like the dividing line between 90 Meta's horror and Very. thousands meta horror. And then you get Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's yeah. like, okay, that version of the slasher movie is definitely done. Yeah. Um, you know, and I want to say this actually even might have come out two weeks before Freddy versus Jason. Freddy versus Jason. Place your bits. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Two weeks after they came out in the same month. They both came out in August. And they have entirely different sensibilities. Yes. (laughs) To me, this was like the. Yeah. Saying we're connected to the last three phases of slasherdom that, you know, right. These eighties and then the nineties, but like now we're starting a whole new beast. And I think the reason I love this one so much is a, it is genuinely scary. And I remember at the time thinking it was one of the better acted slasher movies in a while. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the movies after it took the wrong lessons right. from this movie. Yeah. You know, they took, like you said, the the stock pretty people and they did that again. Yep. And they took the color palette. I felt like the thing that they all forgot to do was to make an actually very scary film. Yeah. Because this was the first chainsaw I had seen in a while where it was definitely 
like the intent of it was to be scary. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and there's that relentlessness to it that would go on thing. to define that, that 2000s horror. And yeah. this really like it took it, it took the, the most I took what I would consider the most relentless legacy property, which is Texas Chainsaw Math. Even watching that original from 74 now, it is it's I find it still incredibly hard to watch because it, it is, is so and relentless it, and depraved. And it I'm always I always in the back of my head thought the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was two hours, uh-huh. 85 minutes. And it's because you literally go through the <laughs> fucking ringer watching that. Movie. You're in that dinner scene for a day. You're it kidding feels like me. You're there for a weekend. My God. Yeah. Um, and like this, I think, took that aspect of the original and just said, we're going to beat you. You're yeah. going to walk out of this movie battered. And I remember being like, this is fresh. This is Mm -hmm. new, weirdly new with an old title. And I thought the remakes didn't, the remakes after that, like Halloween to me is a really. The zombie Halloween is the same thing. Yeah. The remake is a bad attempt at the same thing. Or, you know, you were trying to mimic a lot of the aesthetic and the music and stuff with Friday the 13th. And it's like, that's the wrong movie for this. Yeah, it is. So like, it didn't work. Same director though. It is. And same music, same DP, like a lot of the same team. But, does, but the lessons are the wrong lessons. Exactly. Right. Just Texas Chainsaw 2 with this crew. You know what the, What did come from this that came in, that shows up everywhere in the aughts is a sad, bas- a sad backstory. He always keeps to himself. Skin disease. He was just a little boy when it started. Didn't you look at his face? It's like our very a sad bastard. A sad bastard. Like, oh, that too. Is it? Well, I was, I was I was combining very sad mystery with sad backstory, and that's yeah. what came out. Um, because it's not actually a very sad mystery, like what comes later. This is yeah. just the drop that Leatherface had like was tormented and had like a you know, skin, skin thing, and that's why he's wearing. It's like, oh, that's why he's a monster. Okay, yeah, and the then, like the 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 building in em- like t- giving us the worst possible actual incarnations of the super killers as we knew them, but at the same time making them like shoehorning in that we should feel more empathy for them. Everyone around here knows that poor sweet boy. Sweet boy. He's no harm. Because we're getting these origin stories that are awful. The funny thing is, in this movie, you do get a little bit of a backstory, and then they make a whole movie after this that takes place before it, saying we're going to give you a, yeah. the backstory. But then the best part of that is the backstory they give us in the backstory movie is actually shorter than the backstory they give us in the first. <laughs> in the backstory in the original, in the backstory movie, is literally like he was thrown in a dumpster. Yeah. And then it just gets to like another set of kids and it's like just make a sequel we don't I give mean, a shit we already learned what he was doing and it kind of worked in a way because it didn't go too heavy-handed with it whereas you know we spent an hour with michael in an asylum Jesus i mean Christ. my the, the to me the king of tcm backstories i know we'll be surprised to hear it's texas chainsaw 3d where we fully <laughs> reimagined the overtaking of the Sawyer house and double stick, double stick tape works harder than it ever has before on an absolutely <laughs> fucking gung-ho Alexander Daddario. Bless you, miss, for that performance. Now, Nate, when you, because yeah. like if you're having to text back and forth with Michael about this, what is, what is the, what is the stake for you with Texas Chainsaw 3D? Why does this, why does this one resonate as the one to talk about for the whole decade of choosing? It's this one. Uh, I, re- it might've really just been the timing that it came out and where I yeah. was in my life. Um, 
really. But it also really was scary. Yeah. And I, because I felt like, uh, I, I felt, uh, what's the word I want? Not compassion. But I kind of like liked everybody in the movie. I think yeah. that honestly, in the in the original, you you are rooting for people, but they're also all very annoying. Yeah, so kind of like, eh, like even you screaming for hours and hours <laughs> while you're you know being tortured. I find you really annoying. I wish you would scream less. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is a likability factor with all five of them. Jonathan Tucker yeah. on this watch. Now I was like, you're my an favorite. asshole. But there is a likability factor with all five of them. I love him in this movie. Like, I, I'm impressed I, by him in this movie. He has a nice I character turn too. Like, it's like it's a really I good love character, the character turn. Yes, I love it. I it makes me like very sad to see his demise because I, I mean, yeah, I feel like out of all of them, I don't know why, but I just feel like that's the person I would have been friends with in real life if like I had to go to high school with all these fuckers <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know I feel like because when I first watched this I was like oh yeah Jessica Biel all those decisions that's who I back and then I thought he was the bad guy watching it again I'm like he's amazing love all of this Jessica Biel just tried to break into an outhouse <laughs> like it had, a, it had a padlock Bruh. what girl you you know immediately that she is full of bad ideas <laughs> she's like i don't i don't want any weed i'm nauseated do you know what do you know what weed is for <laughs> i think an important part of the jessica beal of it all is a testament to because of the intense heteronormativity that collided with like homoeroticism of the 2000s with this like simultaneous rejection of queerness but also like queer aesthetic is really hot and we're gonna traffic in that is the, you have, and I think this gets to like a notion of Jennifer's body too, like where you're capping off the 2000s, where you have these really hot female protagonists. You have just like almost caricatures of hotness. They're so hot. They're, it's not like they're so beautiful. They're so gorgeous. They're hot. Like they're engineered to be that. And I hope that does not sound minimizing to the actresses. I think it's a priority of the gays and the films that were made at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had to they had to paint within the lines. There is such a missed opportunity to, like, just just market these at the gay girls who want to see this shit. Like, this doesn't actually have to be the specific domain of the boys aged 18, aged 15 to 30 that you want to go see buy tickets. Like your homophobia is preventing you from capitalizing on a rich market of queer people who are going to seek this stuff out. They're going to sneak into movies. They're going to get the videos. They're going to get the, you know, VHS from the video store because like seeing Jessica, as you were saying, they seeing Jessica Beale with her midriff out in that tank top that could fit a, a body only like hers with one of like the best jeans asses. I feel like a white girl has ever carried around. Like <laughs> It is so just like watching the stupidity of these, the, the sacrifice of dollars and capital to just not even considering a queer <laughs> audience that wants right. this stuff has is right. just a persistently, it is one of the things that just, I'm most persistently gobsmacked about looking back on the 2000s. Cause it's like, guys, you think, you think only dudes were coming to this movie to look at Jessica Biel? Are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, yeah, I didn't even what think a I was joke. gay. <laughs> I didn't even think I was gay and there I was, okay. Right. <laughs> 
Uh, I, it was like you were reading Playboy for the articles kind of thing. Like, I'm not even thinking about it. I mean, they're truly missing out. What is a more supportive group of people than queer women? Honestly. I, I mean, how many, 11 years later, we all have this exact same Jennifer body, Jennifer's body t-shirt on. Yeah, no, they really, they really missed out on that one. Because um, like, I mean, it, it felt like there was an offering to, um, even if not acknowledged, there was very much a playing into a cis, very shaved, like queer male, like kind of attraction. Like you look at photos None of, of- hair to have a body hair in any of these. Movies. No, and like, look at old, <laughs> look at old advertorials of Chris Evans when he was coming up. Like yes, this please. is just material for men to beat off to. Like this is, for men by men like you see it like look at how we crafted boy bands like there was there's nary a heterosexual thread in how these people were styled and like look at abercrombie catalogs with the prevailing physical I archetype did. of the day aber and you did you did I look did. at abercrombie catalogs yeah. oh, yeah. i looked Same. i looked at them for a while the homoeroticism you know, of abercrombie's whole male marketing scheme oh my god like, it was it was so ever present, and yet there wasn't you really by an the way, like that for women. For Why? Gen Z out there, uh, you couldn't even order clothes from an Abercrombie catalog. That's not what this was. No, <laughs> this was like young people walking around in scenes like softcore porn. It and, was softcore, and you had to like, like a naked dude in a field, and then on like the bottom corner of the page would be like, "Here's a pair of underwear you could buy." Right, without like, a name or a price. <laughs> Yeah, it's it like, wasn't even like it wasn't a catalog. Just, there were as few clothes as possible in the catalog. Right, the idea was there weren't clothes. Yeah, right? and it I, was a lifestyle. I think that there's something interesting to point out, especially with the queerness of Jessica Biel's character, just in the presentation. Because right mm -hmm. now, like like watching this through a 2020 lens or a 2021 lens, what what year is it even after that pandemic? Um, it's just hard to look at it and and grasp fully what it would be to have a woman in a white tank top and a cowboy hat say pick a lock and then go i had two older brothers well so like right now that doesn't matter <laughs> uh -huh. but then you know in a hyper masculine post 9 11 society that's all agro dubros to have a woman playing with gender in yeah. that way and i use that very loosely but that <laughs> is what the movie is attempting to do and i think that might be part of what feels queer about her well, and I think like now, if you saw that in 2021, that character picks a lock and she ba like she all but basically looks back and kind of like winks at the screen at you. And some probably some other woman on the screen is like, that was fucking hot. If a dude isn't saying isn't the one saying <laughs> yep. it, like we're acknowledging that it's hot. And she's like, I don't know, had to pick some stuff up along the way. Like there it doesn't have to be a couching of like, oh, no, no, no. I had this masculine influence to make me this way. It's like I had a big brother. Yeah. Like what yep. do you like? I I'm I'm a woman in this world. I have mm -hmm. to be capable in all ways. What the fuck do you want? Like it is like the even sort of like couching of skill and power in the context of how it exists in relation to men is like a thing we needed to do, which is why the character of Chugs in Sorority Row is so refreshing. Um <laughs> Love you know, queer, queer chug, queer icon chugs. The thing I love about this movie too is that like they kill her boyfriend like immediately. Yeah, you know, I forgot kill. that Kemper goes Kemper so quickly. First. He's first, you know, and it's like refreshing in that sense because I remember seeing it the first time and just assuming he would be standing with her at the end of the movie, totally, mm -hmm. or be the last one to die. Yeah, and that was another reason it was like, oh, this movie is doing something different. Was they killed him right away? Yeah, they fucking killed him. 
you know, um, which I thought was pretty daring. So I think a lot of the things this movie did, the other remakes forgot because mm-hmm. they just followed the traditional structure of the 80s, weirdly enough, you know, and where this movie kind of subverted the 80s, 70s and 80s a little bit. Too, it's worth noting that like there's something that comes with being someone so brash as Michael Bay and so sort of like uncouth and just sort of you know fuck it um I think what comes with that is like there is a sort of fearlessness about Michael Bay to make his propaganda to make mm-hmm. his like pro-America films to make his like unabashed capitalistic enterprises that capitalize on toys to sell more toys. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think there's something so go for broke and in Michael Bay sort of like cynicism of how he approaches what's valuable in a story to where like you give him something like this and he'll be like, yeah, fucking break it. Like if he's the one sort of the overarching, like this is movie is imbued with the sensibility, even if he is not the writer director, it is very much cut from the cloth of what a Michael Bay experience looks like. And I think knowing that you're working under those kinds of marching orders, this isn't somebody who's going to care about like niceness or convention. He's just going to do the thing he knows, like ejects that, you know, dopamine into your veins and keeps hitting it over and over and over again. (laughs) And he's really good at that. He's just like k- pure carnal interest. I wonder I if trying like, to think of, go ahead, Sam. Oh, I just, I keep trying to think about why this is so scary because there are a lot of films that come out that have just like a big hulkier version of the original monster, just yeah. like this, that are not as effective. But this movie has a, 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 a character who over the course of the series, Leatherface kind of was queered and and turned into kind of like a clown by Texas Chainsaw um, Next yeah. Generation. So one, it was an easy pivot from that to doing something darker. But I would say, I think what this film does, and maybe I'm giving it too much credit, please let me know. But I I mean, it shows pain. And when it shows pain, it shows people do, making decisions that I, that I don't know. I'm watching it and I'm going, yeah, I would make that decision. We see Andy try and pull himself off of a meat hook oh, unsuccessfully. Oh God, that is a gr- incredible and scene. And then, in a, a few scenes later, we show, you know, uh, Jessica Beals, yeah, Aaron, sorry, Aaron. Yeah. We see Aaron um, walk in and try and pull him off the meat hook, also unsuccessfully. That's an excellent sequence. And and in doing that, it just, it, it is hard to watch in a way that I think the Saw sequels, for example, w- missed. Mm-hmm. It's like all we see in the later movies of the aughts is like, extreme violence but no it doesn't feel like there are stakes it doesn't feel like there's real pain in this mm-hmm. movie well, if this was like a later aughts movie we would have been inside his back seeing the hook moving in and out right yeah <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> well i think michael no, i think michael's right before about this this is this is very well acted yeah like that scene uh, that scene to me when i think of how affecting Awkward it is again. i think of i think mm-hmm. of aaron screaming in like anguish and like fear and sadness that like she can't help her friend It's not torture. The head, the, the gunshot to the head, I think is, I think it takes the cake. Yeah, and, and it's I think like, they kind of were like, you know what? We blew our wad in the first five minutes. Yeah. We got to be clever the rest God. of the day. That shit was amazing. Uh, it's it, so good. Unbelievable. The, smoke, the smoke coming out of her It mouth. fucking worked. And then the uh, shot going through her head. And you like, you yeah, see them screaming yeah. through her head, right? You yeah. see them reacting through the like the hollow point hole. 
Yeah, I remember seeing that and being like, oh, you can do these kind of shots with this fucking slasher movie. You know, because it felt to me like an extension of Wes Craven in a lot of ways where he took his craft super serious mm. and like rendered like why the screen movies are so successful is like he did, a, he, did he treated it like a, a film, mm-hmm. you know? And I felt like not in the same way, but this movie did the same stuff. Like that shot is iconic. Oh going yeah. Your head, you know, and the movie is actually really beautifully shot. Um, I mean that like, I mean, yes, it's, 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 a, it's a throwback and it also features, you know, Jessica Biel's very impressive ass shoot has worked very hard for, but that like follow her hip line shot up to the house. Like, yeah. I love that oh, entire yeah. thing. Like the composite is just like the, DP from the, original, the DP that shot it shot the original Texas chainsaw. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So like they brought him back for it and like, it's pretty cool if you watch him back to back to see like just his growth as a, as a director of photography. Wow. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to bring up today too, because I know I've always been a little hard on this movie, even though I do enjoy it, but I've always been really hard on the color palette of Scream 4 because it's very yellow. Okay. And I realized today that I wonder if that was Wes commenting on the remakes he was commenting on at the time. And he gave it that look on purpose. Cause I don't know if you noticed that. I feel like that movie is very yellow tinted. Interesting. I always hated that because it didn't look like the other three screams, but then I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. They're commenting on like the 2000s remake boom. And all those movies looked like that. All of them. I can totally see that. Especially the hitcher. The hitcher like took this look and like went fucking ancient. Oh yeah. Well, I mean yeah. the the how the um the hills have eyes is yeah. the most chartreuse brown <laughs> vomit like baby poop oh, landscape no. you can imagine. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. I think this I think the closest I think the closest companion in this era to TCMO three is Aja's Hills Have Eyes. And I think like when you talked about like this movie's really scary, like in it, that's another I think scary remake. What this movie does and what that movie does and what the 2000s were very, um, very like there was a callousness to them. This movie creates a landscape where you sort of feel like it's like we're not in Kansas anymore. Like the terrain, the people, everything is framed to be wrong. Like, and there is a, because like, like this is such an era of, very binary cisgendered can like pat playboy magazine style beautiful bodies it sets in contrast literally anything that deviates from that is grotesque it's hideous it's a it's a a malady it is something to be either afraid of or laughed at like the way like like obesity is used in these movies like the way the way you know fat people are cast in these films is for the express purpose of making you think like and and people with disabilities people in wheelchair like they they take they take like the character who would have essentially been i think jonathan tucker's character would have been like the closest to the character in a wheelchair in the first movie he's right. not in a wheelchair but like one of the one of the hewitts is and that's a bad guy so there's this alignment with anything that deviates from the like healthy beautiful body norm is like that's bad that's sick doesn't that make you know you're somewhere you're not supposed to be and these movies there's like there's an unselfconscious shaming and phobia around non i guess normative bodies that i think it has an effect of contributing to like 
you understand that the entire world is stitched together to make you feel upset. And at the time, especially with the implication of we were sort of built and engineered to think like, oh yeah, those things are, are gross and we should think they're hideous from jump. And that is completely what the Hills Have Eyes is based off of. That's the entire point of them. Even the sheriff takes his teeth out in what is supposed yeah. to be like the most horrifying moment. And he's like, see, I'm, yep. I'm also not able-bodied. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, okay. I mean, at least they got that part right, where they show you that calling the police just equals people dying. Yes. For real. Um, yes. Yeah. Like, bold move, 2003. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, there is, yeah, the way it they- in today's lens, you're like, oh, of course, yeah, just run, run, please run. <laughs> well, and it's like- the- And in that time frame, they play it as like, they kind of try to get you to play both sides of it for a yeah. while. You know, where like if you did that today, it wouldn't work because you'd immediately be like, oh, get the fuck away from that guy. So we spent a lot of time earlier talking about queer coding on one end of the like the spectrum. I would also like to just bring up the evil baby kidnapping lesbians that appear in the third act. <laughs> right, God. <laughs> because I forgot about that. Important, them. very important. <laughs> I was like, hold on, Anne Hayes is in this movie? What's that? <laughs> Oh, I was like, oh, Anne Heche is in this movie? I just was shocked. It is a twist. That's not your baby. You stole her! She's mine. And she's styled like her. I mean, truly, these these are, it's like, if female trouble or like anything from the John Waters era was was made by Michael Bay, that's what this would look like. Wow, I mean, they are you're right. straight out of the 70s. Um, except it's not, it instead of being queer people like taking this identity and being like, okay, we're gonna run with what they think of us. This is like back to this is what they think of us. <laughs> 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 and we got your baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But don't worry, Jessica Biel is ready mom. to be a mom by the end of this because she's <laughs> fully gonna get away with her. Yeah. Well, she was upset about not getting married. She's ready to be a mom. Jessica mm-hmm. Beale is a normative, uh, aspiring, aspiring housewife character. I want to find some way to blame this on Justin Timberlake, even though they were not married yet. Let's do we it. We can. Yeah. I think we totally can. I think we should just fucking blame him for shit. You know? Yeah, Every let's day. blame him. Yeah, so annoying. <laughs> Because if this is the year, if this is the year of the being over there with Christina Aguilera, uh-huh. meanwhile, we get yeah. the Justin reaction shot. This is so much of pop culture is sort of, this is such an, a momentous like breakup relationship in pop culture with Britney and Justin. Mm-hmm. He is such like an organizing principle around which we see pop culture at the time. Why not consider the impact that he has on Texas Chainsaw and- <laughs> well- and here it is, though, because Justin actually, re- I mean, he represents the male gaze in a way that is very 2003, which is lesbian equals hot. But yeah. when they're not hot, they're dangerous. Yes. And so it is his fault. Yes, it is his fault. <laughs> well, and also it equals lesbianism hot for the straight man unless his person's involved. Yes. Right. Because yeah. he was angry when that happened. Yep. Uh, you know, if it was not Brittany, but it was Christina only, you know. Homeboy would have been probably jerking off that night when he exactly. got home. Exactly. You're so right. When he was doing it, he was threatened by it. Yep. You know, aka another layer of his assholishness. <laughs> See, it's all his fault. It's Fucking all his fault. I'm so like, I actually, there's a lot more better. There's a lot 
more remakes I like than I realize. Like the Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left. You know, I feel like I like the remakes to movies from the 70s and 80s that I don't love. The, like you, like, you mean the original, the, the originals, the original Last House mm. on the Left, and the original The Hills Have Eyes. I can't watch. Uh huh. Mm. But I think the remakes are both great. But also those benefit from the the fact that Wes Craven was actively involved in both of those, mm. which is why I think the Nightmare on Elm Street movie sucks because they cut him out. Of that a real, remake. a real and personal favorite of mine from the era. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, I think the Nightmare, I think the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is the is the most is the perfect worst case example of what you could do in this time. Like, like you said, like taking the wrong lessons, Nightmare on Elm Street, Rooney Mara edition makes all, takes all the worst lessons, like at the fumes of the tail end of the time when we are so past it. And it's like, fuck it. We're still doing also like the, like dead serious battery, battery powered Ram that you get hit with over and over again in Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes. makes sense because the original does the same thing to you. Yep. The original Nightmare on Elm Street is scary, but it's also a fun- It's tongue in cheek. Serious, clever film. Yeah. And the remake went the super self-serious route. Mm-hmm. So that about 30 minutes for me, I'm just like, this is boring. Well, and so I think that, funny. I think that's a really good point you make, Michael, actually about like the, the what were the most successful remakes, the like, like, you know, the idea of Last House on the Left being drawn to Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes and the TCM03 is that like, they really do, they really do can like aim to recapture the grisly spirit of that they, like exploitation they, violence wave that we started that like, that was ushered in by TCM. ushered in in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. and, and like, Last House the on the Left. of the original film. Yeah, and they no. they are the ones that work they because that is the mood of 70s horror is the is the mood of 2000s horror. That is the renewed spirit of mm. that like nihilism, that like Vietnam era like detachment from society and the recognition of like we are not the heroes, we're committing war crimes abroad and then we're seeing the same thing in post 9/11 horror right. images coming in from Abu Ghraib, you know, mission accomplished is a bunch of bullshit, the you know, rolling WMD labs, they weren't real. This disillusionment and jaded, you know, feeling among the populace as ultraviolence arrives to sort of exercise this agita inside of us in this this anger and this fury. It makes complete sense that those movies that were the most like punishment oriented and were framed once again as being punishment oriented in the 2000s would just sing a lot better than movies that were meant to be cheeky, than movies that were meant to be sort of a a popcorn romp at Friday night at the movie theater. So I think that I think that's a really good point. Like, yeah, yeah. I think the DNA needs to be there in a remake to work. Right. Yeah. Look, I know a lot of people do love the Friday the 13th remake, and I think it's fun. It's my least favorite. That one is my it's least mine favorite. It's mine too. And I think the biggest problem for me with that is when it comes down to it is like, I feel like Texas Chainsaw remembers its roots, right? So right, like right, right. And a lot of the stuff you remember about the original is there, but they give it a new spin. Whereas I think people misremember the Friday the 13th series. Mm. You know, and like, like I say, where's the mood? So like, that's why this movie works for me so well is because the mood of the original is heavily, heavily here. Mm. And then 
again, Nightmare doesn't work for me because where's the mood of the original movie? Oh yeah, where completely gone. Completely gone. Yeah, where's Nancy and Tina and Glenn hanging out having a sleepover? Where's that moment of everyone's life? depressed? Everyone's everyone's fucking, depressed. Like literally, like on like I'm like, are they all on the same therapist? And she is prescribing them all <laughs> hard, <laughs> drugs like, from what happened to them as kids, or he actually which would, would be he because it would be a male doctor that would do that, and you know, so I'm like. As we talk about this remake, I'm starting to realize why some of the remakes for me were more successful than others. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, so something that this movie does really well, and I just want to bring it up before we completely go on from the ending, because I love this in terms of like odd stuff, but like the sheriff, when when she runs the sheriff over like multiple times, like just like (laughs) she is, when she like absolutely lets him have it, Yeah, just even from a perspective of like, fuck that guy. Yeah. But like also fuck cops. But then in a 2003 perspective where um, the Patriot Act is being introduced and we have a president who is suddenly like, guess what? Your freedom. I just signed a piece of paper that says you don't have it. Um, mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, it was like over here. I just invented the call, li- the no call list. Like that'll do it. What we have is like uh, an authority yeah. that is um that authoritarian. is authoritarian. Yes. Well, yeah, because the China was literally you're either with us or you're against us. Yep. And there is and, from our president's mouth. And because of that back and forth, like I'm protecting you, but I'm not protecting you. And this this push and pull. I think that's part of why the sheriff is so effective there, because we were culturally in a place. And when are we not in that place? But I mean, specifically in this moment, um, we were in a place where that was happening to all of us mm-hmm. uh, from the top down. Well, and that was the year I felt like the tide was turning in the country. Because, you know, like 2002, let's be real, I think for most people, it was kind of like rah, rah America because yeah. it just happened. And then 2003, things started slowing down and people started going, wait a minute, what the fuck is actually going on here? Mm-hmm. And then no. George Bush starts campaigning, com- campaigning for re-election on. Yeah. And people are starting to go. Gay marriage. Gay marriage. You're. Yeah actually a really evil fucker mm-hmm. <laughs> you're using 9-11 you're campaigning against queer people mm-hmm. you when was katrina was that in his second term oh, five yeah, yeah so like you know and like he haven't even hit his plateau like he haven't even hit his evil peak yet right yeah you know yeah. what i mean but then we're starting to see like oh wait a minute iraq has nothing to do with this mm-hmm and WMNDs are probably a lie. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I think, hit at that moment, especially like with Sam, with that moment at the end of the movie, she's literally running over the authority figure and she does it more than once. <laughs> yeah, yeah mm-hmm. she's she's, she's, she's awesome. pleasure cruising at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. And you start, I know for me as a young person, that was a moment for me. I remember thinking maybe cops aren't so great. <laughs> You know, like as a white person realizing it for the first time, going like, maybe this girl has a point. Well, in casting Arlie Army in that role and like having him like throw back to like the figure that he was in Full Metal Jacket and just being a decades through the decades enduring figure of like when power and authority goes wrong. Well, 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 looky here. Oh my God, Morgan. We got ourselves a killer. Only this time you killed Sheriff. I'd have blow your fucking brains out right now, asshole. 
Get out of the thing. Get out. Um, I think is a great, I think was, that was one of the best choices uh, that the new mythology of TCM in the 2000s made was putting him in it and sort of making him the sort of wild eyed beating heart of its ethos. One, it's like that, that um, person who like destroys authority but not for like alternate, like not for good reasons. Yeah, so they can have it over. Yeah. You know, so like, he's like, he hated the cop because he wanted to be the cop. So he's yeah. like even worse. You know, yeah, they're he's like, he's like, he's like a boogaloo boy. He's yeah, like, like, they're he's not, like, they're not blue lives boy. matter. They're like, take down the entire police state because we're the police now. Yes. Yeah. Like he's, you know, in 2021, he'd have a blue lives matter license plate. And like, uh, it's so scary. And honestly, he's scarier than Leatherface. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's well, terrifying. That's why, like, he's the last, he's the final boss, not Leatherface. Yeah, I mean, he's sure, the final boss. Leatherface, Leatherface comes out swinging in the street. Like, he kind of, like, uh, dings the car. But, like, we know that's not going to happen. Like, she's already got the baby. She's gone. Like, uh-huh. the threat uh-huh. was the sheriff. Well, and... So and- and Leatherface is like Leatherface is obviously sort of like you know quote unquote the monster. But what we what we see most prominently in that two thousands era horror, like with that saw strain, is that the enemy it's it's man versus neighbor. It's like mm-hmm. humans can do unspeakable things to humans, and Leatherface is always a sort of like extra human figure. Like it's it's like yeah. is he man? Is he of us? Is he something different? But like Arlie Ermy just like epitomizes the darkness that is man, and this person who you recognize, this familiar face, this like couldn't be more like grandpa looking white guy, um, is in fact somebody you might need to suspect because it could be anybody, and anybody could do brutal, horrible, terrifying things to you. I will ask one question to you all because we brought up Kelly Rowland. We brought up, um, you know, Willa Ford. Yeah. This movie does one thing. There's one thing this movie doesn't do that everybody else does in this era. And a it's pop pop, star? cast a pop star. So which pop star is missing from this movie? Oh, Ooh, wow. What a question. What a question. Okay. Top of my head came right to my mind. Mm-hmm. I feel like she could fit with the aesthetic, even though... Not with the aesthetic, but like her look mm-hmm. at the time and kind of her attitude. I think pink would have fit in well. Oh, that's a good call. <laughs> Even with her, her cut, everything, you know yeah. what I mean? That's a really good call. Yeah, oh, I love that. And she uh, wore she the lowest kind of, like, of the low rise. She was like she the did. top pop star. Yep. Right? Yeah. You know, like she was like really doing yeah. gender bending in a way. Mm-hmm. Um and I could see her as an antagonist or a protagonist too. Yeah. Either part of the friend group or part of the family. <laughs> I really wow. like that pick. I really I like that pick. I mean, like this is like if there is an aesthetic era of Extina that would fit in this movie, it is the one she is in during this movie. Like dirty. Too, too dirty to clean my act up. Yeah, too Christina. dirty to take a shower. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. This movie. Yeah, I love just like Sarah Michelle Geller at the sketch at the time. When she plays Christina filming the video for Dirty. Yes. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Yeah, Damn. but man, pink is pink's a strong pink's a good choice one, for right? this. Yeah. That's a good one. I no, have a Oh, nay, go ahead. I'm imagining this like this family, this family member that you're like, is this person really related to them? Because she's like real you're like immediately endeared. 
<laughs> by her mannerisms and her like presence and you're like well she's in this family so she must be evil but eventually you find out that it was just circumstance and biology mandy moore oh, oh my, god. my god wow are you wow you are Ooh, after you my heart i love that you I'm are like, so right i want to see that yeah god you're like who is you're like oh wait i do i need to i need to rescue her yeah from this family and does she need rescuing yes. or is she just the ultimate honeypot is she just like the ultimate okay, bait for the Hewitt family? Because it it works one hundred percent through either direction. Yeah, it's like the monsters. That's and their, their niece. Yep, that is so <laughs> like sinister. Normal. Man, the idea of Mandy Moore in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three is oh so God. sinister. If I had a time machine, I would waste it on that. <laughs> right. That would be Sam's. Wish. That's a good one. I see like her walk to remember look being reused oh my god <laughs> into, it. into it oh my god a, i want her a, in that yellow Hewitt. in that perspiring sheen just yeah. like with the way she moves her mouth when she talks in a yes. sundress like oh my yeah. god oh, now right, i'm upset right. this isn't real now i'm upset <laughs> this isn't the world we got but i'm glad there's a multiverse out there where it is because that is vile and incredible <laughs> So what makes this movie Ots Tyrion? Yeah, what puts it Why, in What in puts the, this in the, in the collection? In the collection, in the library. I mean, it really started an Ots trend. It really did. It, mm-hmm. You know, I think, Jordan, I think you're right. I never connected the Dark Castle of it all to this. Um, but it really, it really weirdly defines the beginning of Ots horror to me. I think it really does even though it's in 2003 at least in the slasher space mm-hmm. in the teen space yeah um well i would say that i, I mean i think it, it's just it's of a piece what, what you guys said i this movie this movie belongs in the Austerion library where you know we will invite filmmakers to virtually walk through and pull out their titles and talk about them barry jenkins you're invited um <laughs> this movie belongs because it, it it is um it is that it's the blueprint for horror as it would come after. I think people, if they're not talking about these movies a lot, I think they don't realize that like in the way that like when people talk about like the tropes of horror that like scream lambasts, they consider them as being much more ever present throughout all slashers than they actually ever really were. Like they come up in sort of like the ninth sequel of things where we've reduced movies down to their most foundational salacious parts, like the fucking, the boobs, the the drugs, the alcohol kind of stuff. But I think like this movie does in so many ways establish the visual shorthand for what the the remake this is the the remake machine honing itself into perfection and and even if this was like creating the program yeah (laughs) this is yeah this is this is the software setup for what they will run movies through after and even if i do even if i do appreciate the even if i do enjoy the hitcher more it's it's so much in that it's so, so much the way that 2007 couldn't happen without 2005 the That's Hitcher true. 07 <laughs> couldn't come without Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. We say that all the time. You know, that's on an episode that's not even out yet, right? I mean, we're getting there. <laughs> okay. We're getting there. No, I'm pretty sure you say that in a season one episode. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You say right. that in a season one episode. I, see that, I say that in every episode. So that's yeah. okay. Good. I good. mean, there's a great, it's a, it's a log line for this podcast. Um, <laughs> 
so in that sense, like it, it, it gives us even like we even see like that importing from TV to screen in the way that like there's going to start being a cross pollination between the little screen and the big screen that is now fully blended um, into to entertainment that we see now. There's there's this flattening between the stars of TV and the stars of film. And I think horror is something that's most overtly actually cashing in on that. Um, in the 2000s, more than anything else was. It was sort of presaging when those two mediums would would become sort of one and the same in terms of like what we identified as our most desirable stars and the most sort of event programming of the day. And so just, and it, it's so, it, it's, it's interesting to think of it like it's a chicken and egg scenario. Like it's really fun to think of this movie in terms of like how much did this, was this movie responding to the cultural mores and aesthetics of the 2000s and how much was it creating them? in how it came in so big and brash and flashy. So yeah, as, as the, as the bones on which post 9-11 horror was built, I, I have to, this is a proud addition to the Ottsterion library. Yay. Well said. We did it. We did Friends, it. <laughs> where can we find you on social media? Yeah. Social media, or if you're or not whatever on you want to talk about that you're working tell on, us, you can tell us where you can find, say your feature film to watch. Um, so you can <laughs> rent, you can rent or buy freaky on all digital platforms or do both. Yeah. I did. Um, or buy the beautiful blu-ray and then um yeah and you can find me on instagram at michael tj kennedy and nay where where can can we we find find you you? and where can we find perhaps Uh, your art you can find me on instagram and twitter at black cupcake b-l-a-k-k-c-u-p-c-a-k-e you can find my art through that you can find me um and that's it. Michael and I are working on something we can't talk about yet. Excellent. What? Excellent. What? It's, it's like been in the works for a year. Like, oh my <laughs> God. And, and you heard it here on Otterian first, folks. Right. There it is, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Mark your oh, calendars. I can't wait. That's awesome. That's so yeah, cool. It's be pretty cool if it comes together. Well, we'll be on the edge of our seats. Yeah. And in the meantime, uh, while we wait for absolutely everything to materialize, uh, Sam, can where where can we find you uh, if you want to be found? Um, I don't want to be found, but like if you insist, at Sam Wyman on Twitter or at Sam Wyman on Instagram or at Sam Wyman in space. I I personally uh, would prefer to find you, so I'm glad to know these things. Mm, thanks, friend. And um, you can find me Jordan Cruciola on Twitter at Jorcru J O R C R U. And on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Cruciola, because I'm making podcasts on my own, and you can listen to me talk for hours more. I would like to. Thank you so much. I'll be finding you. And you can find you can find Sam again soon on another crossover episode of Disaster Girls and Otsterion. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Where our aligned interests of the 2000s and disaster movies are going to come together. This Venn diagram, friends, it is, it's interesting. it is it is interesting and thank you all for listening to us today as we talked about the remake machine and the power of jessica beale's white tank top it's a powerful tank top Bye.